This week on Prepping 2.0. Be the calm in the storm and expect other people to freak out, but don't be that person yourself. When disaster strikes, will you be prepared? This is Prepping 2.0 with authors and prepping experts, Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Online at prepping2-0.com. Get ready. Prepping 2.0 coming in three, two, one. Hello, Prepping 2.0ers. This is Shelby Gallagher over here at Prepping 2.0, joined by my co-host on the show and co-host in life, Glenn Tate. You guys loved him from the last episode. Our guest returning to us is Chris Dwallet. He's a writer at Ammo.com. He tells us about getting his mother-in-law out of Ukraine and, more importantly, the prepper lessons he learned from it. And, as always, remember, the only thing harder than planning for a disaster is explaining why you didn't. As we're listening to Chris talk about this story and talking about bugging out, and you might be thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to get some prepping stuff going here because things just feel unstable around us. I cannot express to you anymore how important it is to get your deep preps. What do I mean by deep preps, Glenn? What do I mean when I say deep preps? These are not pantry items. These are not short range consumables. These are not the kind of foods that you put in your pantry and you kind of ATM style it. You put it in, you take it out, and you use it on a daily basis. These are things you put away for when things are really, really dicey. And they need to be able to store for a really long time. Numana Foods, great folks over there. You can find them at our website, prepping2-0.com. Click over on Friends and Affiliates. They will get you bulk, freeze-dried, deep preps. These are shelf-stable items for multiple years and decades that will check off that box where you make sure you have your deep preps in order. Top 100 items that disappear first list based on the experiences of Bosnia survivors. This list is available at prepping2-0.com, our website, under the appropriately named heading, Top 100 Things list of things. Number 28, gasoline containers, metal or plastic. That's right, you need gasoline, you need a place to store it, you need a place to transport it, and you can't put gasoline in just any container. Metal is preferable. There are plastic ones that don't dissolve, so you need to have that. You're gonna need to bring the gasoline where it needs to be as opposed to just driving up and getting the gasoline as you would normally do. Here's what you missed from a recent after show if you're not a Patreon. Number one gun, if you are a new prepper and you're like, okay, I need to start building my stockpile. First thing I'm gonna say is you're gonna wanna get a handgun. My preference is gonna be semi-auto, but if you're a revolver person, hey, you do you, but you're gonna wanna get something that you can both conceal, but still has a decent amount of magazine capacity to it. There's so much more to this show than the regular show, and you can find out what you're missing for a whopping $2 a month. And how do I improve my listening experience, you ask? You go to prepping2-0.com and click on the Patreon button. Let's get into it. We pick up where we left off in our last episode with Chris, which was episode 252. Chris, reacquaint our listeners about you by telling us a little about yourself. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be on the show. And yeah, I'm a former competitive shooter. I'm a former biochemist. Uh, I've been shooting since I've been about six. I currently work for ammo.com. And yeah, we're talking about the story of me bringing my mother-in-law from Ukraine to the United States. I married my Ukrainian wife back in uh, 2000 and uh, oh, I almost lost it there. 2018. Don't forget I, that I date. Did, I almost did the husband thing mm-hmm. there. It's quite a story. Right now we're in Heathrow. We're waiting for security to bring my mother-in-law back to me, hopefully. But yes, if you were waiting on that cliffhanger from our last episode, they did bring her back. They got everything taken care of. They scanned her boarding pass. She was able to come through security with me. And then we're finally in the airport, right? And you're thinking, okay, now you've got it. Well, I had booked a flight from Mexico City to Tijuana the night before while we're sitting in the hotel. And everything seemed fine, right? But uh, we get in the airport. I get into that lovely airport Wi-Fi, and I get this email notification that there's a problem with my ticket. Of course, they don't. And to set the stage, you're in Heathrow because you're going to go from Heathrow, which is in London, to Mexico City. And now you're booking the next leg, which is Mexico City to Tijuana, because apparently it's far easier to get in the United States from Tijuana than it is by going through an embassy and getting a real visa. Which just, it drove me crazy through this entire process. It made no sense, but it is what it is. And we have to deal with the situation we have. As my grandfather would say, you had to, you play the card you're dealt. 
Yeah. Uh, doesn't matter whether they're good cards or bad cards, but you got to play. So, yeah, we have to do that. And again, as I reiterated in the first episode, all of this is completely legal. I'm not taking her across the border. We're planning on claiming humanitarian parole once I get her there. And this is our story of how I got her there. Mm-hmm. And so I had booked the flight to Mexico City because before, when we were sitting in Poland, I couldn't get a flight to Tijuana because there were so many Ukrainians trying to go from Europe to Tijuana at that point. The flights were just going like hotcakes. You really had to get lucky to get one. So I figured it was best that we get to Mexico City and then we can at least get a flight from Mexico City to somewhere closer and kind of get moving once we get there. So. I get the email from the booking agency. Of course, they don't tell you what the problem is because heaven forbid they have, you know, an informative email that they send you. So I call them and I get bounced around between like six different departments and it started getting sent back to the original department I was at. So I was basically going in circles until finally somebody figured out that the problem that they couldn't confirm the ticket because again, the carriers were overbooking the flights basically because, you know, that's the cool thing to do these days. So... (laughs) It was humorous. I was literally almost on the jetway to get on the plane. And the guy's like, well, can we call you back in an hour? I'm like, dude, I'm getting on the flight to Mexico City right now. Can you call my wife instead? Oh, yeah, yeah. What's her number? So I gave them her number. Do you think that they called my wife? No. No, they did not. Uh, Why would they do that? that? I know. Why would they actually read the notes, you know, Mm -hmm. that they put in their system? So. We get on the flight, no problem. We're about halfway over the Atlantic at this point. And I think to myself, hmm, maybe I ought to check on things. So I go ahead and pay for the in-flight Wi-Fi, which we you know, lovingly call FlyFi, hmm. and text the wife. And she's like, no, they never called. I'm like, okay, so we don't have a flight. So we're going to need to get a hotel in Mexico City because we don't have a flight out at this point. So talk to my mother as well. And I'm like, hey, can you book us a hotel room? Here's information. She's like, you want to be close to the airport? I'm like, oh, yeah. In Mexico City, yeah, you get me as close to the airport as possible because I would prefer not to have to go anywhere fishy uh, in Mexico City, so to speak. And so we land in Mexico, and here's where the fun begins. Uh, We'll put it that way. So we go into customs in the Mexico City airport. And, of course, if you listen to the first episode, in my mind, I had purchased the correct visa from all my research that I could find for getting into Mexico for my mother-in-law. I got the right visa, I had it printed out. We finally get up to the table uh, or the, the, the desk, whatever you want to call it. And he asked for a visa, I give it to him. He's like, well, this isn't the right visa. I'm like, okay. He's like, we're well, gonna have to go online and get the right visa. I'm like, sir, you do understand that we're in customs, right? And you have the Wi-Fi block down here. How exactly do you propose that I purchase the correct visa for my mother-in-law? And he kind of gives me that look, right, that you get from customs agents. And he's like, okay, give me your passport, give me a minute. I'm like, okay. So we wait there. He saunters off. I would have bribed him, by the way, if he said there's an additional charge. I would, and I'm in Mexico City. I'd be like pulling out the wallet and be like, how much you need, bro? But I'm glad you didn't do that because that would have been against the law. Yeah, thankfully he didn't say that, but we'll talk about pulling out the wallet later. I can Mm. promise you that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he eventually comes back and he's like, now next time you make sure you get this visa. I'm like, yes, sir. Next time you're fleeing from Ukraine. Exactly. I'm thinking to myself, I am not coming back here if I can avoid it. So, but thank you, sir, for pointing out my mistake. I will make sure to not do Mm -hmm. that again. (laughs) So it was kind of my humorous moment in there, but uh, we get out, I have the hotel address, go out and get a taxi. And because I learned my lesson in Poland, remember, always take the taxi from the airport. Come to find out that I actually this time did not need to take the taxi because the hotel was literally connected to the airport. But he took us on a quick little drive around anyway, not mentioning that. Well, there's the pulling out the wallet then, right? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But we get checked in. It was a very nice place. And we get in there and I start trying to figure out how in the world are we going to make this next leg? And I had another friend who was actually doing the same thing with his mother-in-law, except he wasn't bringing her to Mexico. He just flew her to Mexico, which, as we kind of discussed before, I would have never been able to pull that off with my mother-in-law. She would have been stopped in Poland and would have never gotten here. So I start looking for flights to Tijuana. He's like, okay, here's what's the situation. There are so many people that were showing up in Tijuana at this point. They were giving out numbers to all of the refugees who were coming across the border there because they were overwhelmed at that point. And they said, if you can get there here, this is our number and you can use that. I'm like, okay, cool. So I start looking, trying to find a flight. 
I can't find a flight to Tijuana. Everything's sold out. So my mind goes, okay, we got to get out of Mexico City because there's nothing we can do here. It's too dangerous to drive from here to the border. We need to start moving north to get closer to, you know, the U.S.-Mexican border. So I'm like, okay, let's get a trip to Monterey, which is a fairly big touristy area, fairly safe there. Go ahead and book that for that night. We take a, you know, quick shower, get everything ready. I drop the key off in the night box at the hotel, go down to go get on our flight, and it's a line like we had in Heathrow. I mean, the blind did not move in two hours. We were just standing there. And I'm like, okay, we're missing the flight. So I think the big lesson here is that sooner or later, you might come into a place where you get stuck because eventually what I ended up doing, I was calling mom, I was calling my wife, like they were looking for flights. They were sending me all these flights and I tried to book them and there were no seats left. So at this point, I kind of felt like the airlines or at least the booking agencies were basically saying, hey, yeah, we have flights, but we don't actually have flights. But so I go to the ticket counter and the wife and I have been talking, do we want to cross in Tijuana? Are we going to be sitting there for three days or should we look at another border crossing like Mexicali or Calexico, which is the U.S. border town? It's the same on each side. And we kind of decided on Mexicali because there were less people there. So I go to the flight booking office. They say, yeah, we can get you out to Mexicali in three days. Oh, great. But there were no flights to Tijuana. Tijuana is going to be like a five-day wait. So I'm like, well, three is less than five in, Mm -hmm. you know, modern common core math. At least Mm -hmm. that's what I've heard. Yep. We basically had no choice at this point but to stay put. So, you know, next prepper lesson, you sooner or later in your journey, you may just get stuck somewhere. uh, And you didn't expect to get stuck somewhere. And you've got to be flexible with your plans and how you're going to handle this situation because, you know, in an uncontrolled environment like you're in, in this bug out, there are things that are just beyond your control and you have to accept that and be ready to make adjustments. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, and and accept it instead of trying to put a square peg in a round hole and forcing some bad situation just because your impatience is a stronger emotion than your um, intellect that says, we can't get what we want instantaneously. Right, Shelby, right. go ahead. So folks, I want to give an awesome shout out to our awesome sponsors that support our awesome show. Let's yeah. just be honest. It's pretty so, awesome. And you can find all of our sponsors at our website, prepping2-0.com. Click on Friends and Affiliates, and over there you will find Survival Garden Seeds. Have you got your fall seeds in the ground yet? Get, get on it, and they'll help you do it. Pro One Water Filters help you get your water preps checked off easily come and take it armor katie armor backwoods home magazine minute men coffee yes i've had lots of that today paul burke realtor in idaho help you get your prepping property in idaho you can find them at our website which will link you to firstresponsibility.com powered by fathom realty gibbs arms oh goodness just listening mm-hmm. to uh, Glenn's talks about how awesome that is. And then, of course, our awesome producer, Andy, will help you with all of your podcast needs over at podcastaxis.com. Continue, sir. No, that's great. Um, you know, special shout out to all the sponsors. They're great companies there. But, uh, yeah, so I basically had to kind of skulk back to the hotel, right? And they're like, hey, uh, so, yeah, I kind of checked out, but can we get our room back? Uh, They graciously did. Um, I booked the room for the next two days, obviously. And we literally did not leave the hotel in the airport. And I'll tell you, it was funny because I was talking with some of my friends back home and they're like, oh, you can go check out the tacos in Mexico City. I'm like, (laughs) if you could look out of my window right now, Mm -hmm. you would have a different suggestion as far as what I should be doing. Um, You know, it's not the best place. And of course, safety is my top concern, especially in Mexico. You hear all the horror stories now with people getting kidnapped, uh, things like that. I didn't want to be a statistic. So I knew where the safe place was that was in the hotel and in the airport. And I was not leaving there. So basically, we kind of camped out in our room, for lack of a better term. We went to uh, the restaurant there at the hotel. We had, uh, you know, uh, our food there. But we basically waited. And during this time, of course, the wife and I are talking about where should we cross the border? Now, you can cross in Mexicali, but there are lots of border towns in that area. And one of them was called Los Alagones. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Anybody can feel free to correct me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, it's a, uh, a medical dental place. So people will come across the border there, get their dental work done in Mexico, where it's cheater, cheaper, excuse me, 
and then come back across the border. So there's a lot of Americans there. So I'm thinking, okay, seems more safe, but we need to check, right? So I'm calling the border patrol office there. Can I do this? Can I bring my Ukrainian mother-in-law here? Oh yes, sir, absolutely, no problem. I called again to talk to the manager. Yes, you can definitely claim humanitarian parole here. Okay, great, good deal. I called them three times, I got the same answer. So I figured by the third time, okay, I've probably done my due diligence. <laughs> so we get on the flight. Uh, you know, it was a Saturday, if I remember correctly. Uh, we, you know, we fly up to Mexicali. Of course, it was an overnight flight. We had to sit in the airport for about eight hours because we had to be out of the hotel at noon. Uh, but the flight didn't leave till eight o'clock that night. So, uh, you know, we had to kind of sit in the airport. We found a nice air-conditioned spot for that. And, you know, this whole time, I'm, of course, I'm conversing with my wife. I'm making sure my phone's charged up, ready to go for the next leg of our journey. But, you know, again, she told me, it's like, well, now if something happens, just you send her back to Poland. I'm like, sweetie, I'm in Mexico. Okay. I'm not sending her back to Poland. And, you know, to, to get in on this, it's one of those things you have to deal with different mindsets with people. Uh, of course, we kind of talked about my, my mother-in-law's mindset a little bit, uh, you know, who she is. But when you're in this situation and you have to be the, the strong rock, so to speak, you've got to be that rock and weather any storm you possibly can. And it takes a lot of confidence we talked about earlier and just knowing that you've got this uh, to really kind of weather that storm. And so, you know, uh, we, we got to Mexicali fine. Of course, we were detained in Mexicali because why wouldn't we? I should be more specific. The mother-in-law was detained uh, because they wanted to check her visa. Uh, so, of course, now, thanks to Mexican customs, we had the proper visa. Uh, they came out. I bought us a, a taxi ride to Los Alagones. And now we get to the real fun part. Mm. So we get, to, we get to Los Alagones. No problem, right? I was literally watching the guy drive us there. Like, I had my Apple Maps pulled up. And I'm like, okay, I'm thinking to myself, if something goes wrong, at least I kind of know where I'm at, where we're supposed to be going. And I was watching the way he was driving us. I'm like, okay, he's taking us to the right spot. Gets us there to the border, right? Walk up to the guy at Border Patrol. There's only like 20 people in front of us, which if you've ever crossed the border is nothing. Uh, get up there. I tell him, hey, I'm here with my Ukrainian mother-in-law. We need to request humanitarian parole. He says, we can't do that here. I'm like, excuse me, sir. Uh, I called your office three times yesterday and they said you could. I'm like, he's like, are you trying to tell me how to do my job? I'm like, whoa, whoa, hang on a second here, brother. I'm just telling you what they told me. He said, we're, we're going to need you to step out of line. We can't do that here. I'm like, all right. So I step out of line. I call the office, literally standing outside of it. And they're like, yeah, we can't do that here. They're sending everybody to Tijuana and Mexicali. I'm like, but sir, I called your office yesterday and you said you could do it. He's like, well, why didn't you come here yesterday? Like, because oh. I was sitting in Mexico City, that's why. <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, you're going to have to go back to Mexicali. I'm like, great. Uh, but here's the problem that we ran into. There are no taxi services in Los Alagones, and there's no Uber coverage. So we are literally stuck at this point, and I have no idea how we're going to get out. So the big prepper lesson here uh, is even the best laid plans can fail at a moment's notice for something that is completely out of your control. And you're going to have to adapt. We talked about adaptability on the last episode. This is so incredibly important in this situation uh, because you never know what's going to be thrown at, thrown at you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Wow. This is you keep coming back to adaptability and you keep coming back to not freaking out and you keep coming back to being the rock. I just have to say it in modern American culture, men are not supposed to be decisive. They're not supposed to be the rock. I'll never forget when I was a little kid and I was watching a Brady Bunch episode and something happens and the Brady Bunch family says, okay, let's take a vote. And the kids have an equal vote to the grownups. And I, as a kid, thought, this is insane. Kids don't know what grownups mm -hmm. know. And so you did what you had to do in this setting because you were not infected with this, this modern anti-male bias in this country. And I'm speaking in very general terms, obviously. So before we go any further, because I'm sitting here listening to 
This is all happening in Mexico, several locations in Mexico. Mex- Mexico City is not a safe place. Um, Mexicali no. is not a safe place. Monterey somewhat is because it is a resort town and there's more American influence there. But still, it's not a safe place. How I, I would feel way more safer over in the, the Euro, you know, your European airports. I mean, tell, tell us about, for, if you could take just a minute and deviate from the story mm-hmm. a moment. I mean... Being an American in Mexico then and now is you've got a target on your head and, you know, and you're you're basically escorting your mother-in-law to safety. So tell us about how that felt, what that was like, what the atmosphere was like. I would say that, uh, you know, at least in the hotel, uh, all the hotel staff spoke English as well as Spanish. So I felt pretty secure in the hotel. But, yeah, the airport was definitely kind of sketchy. It kind of reminded me of an airport from back in the 80s, -hmm. uh, but with less air conditioning. Mm. Uh, So it was definitely not exactly comfortable in the the Mexico City airport. And, you know, I I said that thing jokingly that we found a spot with air conditioning, but I was actually kind of serious, too, because there were spots in the airport that were really, oh, let's just stay a little sketchy and uh, no air conditioning at all. Uh, So it it was definitely it was definitely tense, to say the least. But, you know, my mindset was as long as we're not, you know, going around at night when there's less people around. But even then you just never know. And that's why I never left the confines of the airport or the, the hotel, because I literally, you could look out of the window at the hotel. And I wish we had, we could uh, share pictures cause I have a little video from the, from there, mm. but it, it looks like a shanty town. Uh, I mean, exactly. it, looked ter- it looked terrible there in Mexico city. And I'm like, we are not leaving this place. It's like, we're locking the door and we're just going to stay safe. Honestly, in Mexico, safety was my top priority. Absolutely. I mean, we've all seen, you know, we've all seen the movie, you know, Sound of Freedom and, and all of that. The the, the oh, ability yeah. to snatch somebody and commit a crime, adult or child, on the streets in cities that are like this is is insane with no hope for getting that back. So we have just a couple of minutes here. So, um, you know, tell us, I'm, I'm looking at kind of your next lesson. Tease it out for us a little bit yes. before you take a break, Chris. So this, this, in my opinion, is the biggest lesson of the whole trip when I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get us back from Los Algones to Mexicali. And there was really a, a revelation moment for me there uh, that I'm really excited to tell you about next. Oh, very good. So he's going to tease us out a little bit there. We're going to make you guys listen to the break and come back on the other side of the break. But before we do that, again, we have a minute or so. Tell us about the awesome coupon code that you have for our listeners. Yeah, ammo.com. Yeah, definitely. No, if you guys like ammo, which I know all preppers do, Mm, uh, make sure you get to ammo.com forward slash Chris, C-H-R-I-S. Uh, get a free $20 off coupon. All we need is your email. We do not spam you. We do not sell your email address. That is good for life. So if you want to save some ammo, go to ammo.com forward slash Chris. Uh, it'll be down in the show notes for you to click on as well. Awesome. So folks, don't, of course, join us on the other side of the break. I know we're kind of camping out here this show. We've been kind of um, picked up this story on the travels through Mexico. Remember, though, this is Chris, Chris basically escorting his his mother-in-law out of the Ukrainian war and, war and getting her to safety in the United States. Folks, join us on the other side of the break for more from Escaping from Ukraine and Prepping Lessons Learned. More Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher is coming right up. Hear all our previous shows free online at prepping2-0.com. Without water, you're done in three days. Pro One Water Filters. It's literally a matter of life and wet. Pro One G 2.0 all-in-one gravity systems are NSF, ANSI 42 component certified. Not everybody can say that. No need for additional add-on filters to reduce fluoride. Pro One stainless gravity systems include a stainless steel spigot and a countertop stand for no additional cost. Pro One Water Filter Gravity Systems. Check them out at ProOneUSA.com. That's P-R-O-O-N-E. USA.com. Most tested, most trusted. Prepping 2.0 is about that next level of prepping. One of the key 2.0 items to have is bulletproof body armor plates. I used to think body armor was too tactical for a regular guy like me, but it isn't. Give yourself, your family, and your team an unfair advantage when bullets are flying. 
Body armor used to be expensive and hard to get. Not anymore. KD Armor, and that stands for Come and Take It, makes solid and affordable body armor for normal people. Get body armor while you can. The clowns in Congress are trying to prohibit future sales. KD Armor is the place to get it. C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount when you use the coupon code GRANT. When the grid goes down, darkness will descend fast. Used to be there was nothing you could do about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, or CME, coronal mass ejection. Now you can protect your electronics, protect your family, thanks to EMP Shield. EMP Shield invented a simple to install device that prevents whatever's connected to it from frying in an EMP or CME, and it costs just a few hundred dollars. EMP Shield has been tested by independent laboratories and passed muster with the government, which has ordered lots of them. Google EMP Shield and see for yourself. And save some money. Get a $50 discount per device. Go to prepping2-o.com. Click on the Friends and Affiliates page, then click on the EMP Shield logo. At checkout, use coupon code PREPPING2.0. It's all one word. Shelby Gallagher here. We found that you need to layer your food preps. Yeah, this is Glenn Tate here. A lot of times, the hardest part of layering is the long-term foods. We love Numana foods, which have a 25-year shelf life and are non-GMO. Also, organic meals are available. Numana comes in family-style portions and in bulk. This is not backpacking food. It's family meals that last for at least 25 years. The perfect freeze-dried part of your food layering. You can get a sample of Numana meals for $19.95 and see for yourself. You will be amazed. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount by entering the code PREP. Go to Numana.com or click the link on the Prepping 2.0 website. Give it a try. Numana.com. That is N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Are you a prepper or homesteader looking to connect with like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own preparedness group? Already have a group? Well, look no further than PrepperNet. PrepperNet is dedicated to personal responsibility, individual freedoms, and being self-reliant. PrepperNet has monthly meetings in over 100 cities where you can meet and learn with like-minded people in your area. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Find us online at PrepperNet.com. In a tactical situation, your AR is your life. Gibbs Arms makes a sweet feature, the only side charger that can use a standard bolt carrier group with no modification. Gibbs makes them in 9mm, 5.56, and 308. In fact, Gibbs Arms has been granted eight patents for unique innovations. The company started back in 2008 when two Boeing engineers realized no one else made what they wanted. Take a look at their website and see all the ways Gibbs Arms can help you mod your AR. Gibbs with a Z, arms.com. That's G-I-B-B-Z-A-R-M-S.com. Now, more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for rejoining us. We're just getting started with our gripping conversation about Chris's escape from Ukraine with his mother-in-law. For even more, oh my gosh, stick around for the after show. Oh my gosh, last week, you need to be a Patreon supporter. Five-gun battery we talked about. Oh, goodness gracious. And if you're not a Patreon, just check it out on our website, prepping2-0.com. Click on the Patreon button. Our somewhat cognitively impaired President Biden thought it would be a good idea this week to give $6 billion to Iran. This is not a political show. This is not a foreign policy show. My point with all of that is, what do you think the Iranian viewpoint of that is? That it's a sign of weakness. What do you think Iran will do when they, I think correctly, think the United States is run by a very weak person who is groveling to Iran? The odds of an Iranian missile flying have gone up significantly, in my opinion. How do you prevent the effects of an EMP from such a missile? That would be EMP Shield, which is a device that you wire in. It's super easy to do. Even Glenn Tate can do it. You wire into whatever it is you want to protect, a vehicle, your entire house, maybe your ham shack, whatever it may be. They actually work. And you can find out more about that at prepping2-0.com. Look on the Friends and Affiliates page. Look for the EMP Shield logo, and you're going to get yourself a sizable discount. So there you go. Get yourself some EMP Shield. Archive Dive, episode 77, which aired April 2020, was the beginning of some magic. Oh, my gosh. It was the first time we had Dan... The food industry executive on. He's really a food industry executive, and he has insight that will blow your mind about why 
food. Again, go back in time to April of 2020. That was the TP shortage. That thing that we can't talk about Mm -hmm. illness that, Mm -hmm. you know, shut everything down. And he explained why it was happening, how long it was going to last. And I keep coming back to he explains why it's happening. You understand a problem much better when you understand why it's happening. For example, he would talk about there was one place in the world that made ketchup bottle squirt caps, right? And that all the ketchup production in the world was stymied because they couldn't get the little squirt bottle caps. And that's why there wasn't ketchup on the shelf. Stuff like that. It was amazing insight. We've had him on several more times. You can use the new handy search feature at prepping2-0.com, the little magnifying glass. Upper in the right, upper right corner. Upper right corner. Shelby's favorite thing in the world is the search feature. And just type in Dan, and you're going to find all the times he's been on. He is by far, no disrespect to Chris, Dan, the food industry executive, is our most famous, Absolutely. popular guest. Well, and if I can add to that, the one thing he does, he tells you the landscape of what's happening now mm-hmm. and then what to expect. And what, he has been 100% accurate. <laughs> to a really scary degree. That's right. So, Chris, resume where you were. Thanks for that. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad to at least be held in uh, you know, close company with Dan there. That's a great good one there. <laughs> but So now we are stuck. And, I mean, we are literally stuck in Los Alagones. Now, of course, there's a lot of Americans around here, but they can't do anything for me because they don't have their vehicles. Their vehicles are all parked across the other side of the border. So I pull up on my maps, I pull up taxi service, Los Alagones, and it gives me a hit. So I'm like, okay, let's give this a try, right? So we start walking and I have this moment. And the only thing I can describe this is, is a moment of clarity something happened it was almost like in the movies where they do that camera thing where the middle of the screen says focus but the sides of it pull back i'm looking down this street and something just tells me do not go down there now you can interpret that as you'd like you could say it's oh it's your lizard brain you could say that god was speaking to you you can just say it was your intuition whatever you want to describe it as i knew in that moment I had to turn around. Otherwise, I may not be here for much longer on this world. And that is my next prepper lesson. And probably the most important one out of this entire story that I've had is always listen to your gut, especially if you are in unfamiliar territory or it looks sketchy, because if it walks like a duck, it talks like a duck and it looks like a duck, it probably is. So if it looks like a bad area, more than likely it is. The best thing to do is turn around and go back. And that's exactly what I did. And I kind of feel like I'm probably here today because I did that. Once again, we keep bringing up this point about modern American culture, especially as it's focused on or targeting men. We're not supposed to, we American men are not supposed to go with our instincts because we're dumb and we have toxic Mm -hmm. masculinity and we're paranoid and we're just trying to put on a show to make everybody think that they need us because we're the key to security. You have to flush all that garbage out of your mind and go back to reality. And reality is you need to listen to your instincts. We don't know just because we can't explain why it is that you got that sense could be all the things you mentioned, right? I mean, and they're all very different things. Since we don't know exactly why you had that hunch, that doesn't mean that the hunch wasn't accurate. And the older I get, the more I trust my instincts because I think my instincts are getting more and more refined by life experience. But still, men in particular, give yourself permission to trust your instincts. It could save your life. So please continue. Great point. Always, always listen to your gut and those instincts in that situation. So I basically turn around and start heading back where I was before, where I knew there were more people that, you know, I was going to be more safe with. And I'm walking past this dental office and the guy who's sitting out there, they had a doorman. He's obviously a local, but speaks to me in perfect English. He's like, oh, how are you doing today, sir? I'm like, well, I'm not having the best day so far. And so I kind of tell him what's going on. And he says, hang on a minute. Let me make a call for you. I'm like, all right. So he gets on his phone, starts calling everybody he knows. He finally finds Jose, my good friend in Mexico now. (laughs) And Jose can give us a ride back to Mexicali. So before we had been in a very nice taxi, air conditioned, everything, Jose pulls up here with a freaking jalopy. That's the best way I can describe it. The windows are down because there's no air conditioning. The thing sounds like it's going to die. But I'm like, you know what? We don't have any other choice at this point. There were no taxis coming into town. 
it was either this or nothing. And so, you know, you talked earlier about pulling out the wallet. I definitely left the doorman a, a nice thank you gift. Uh, we'll just put it that way. Um, <laughs> because without this guy, I don't know what would have happened, honestly. And the gentleman he called over, Jose, was a dental assistant at one of the other offices. Uh, they actually asked if we could cross on the Phoenix border, which apparently was, I guess, closer to his home. But I called them and they're like, yeah, we've never done humanitarian parole before. I'm like, okay, we're not mm. going to have me be the first one. So Jose agreed to take us back to Mexicali, hop in the car, and off we go. I had a lovely conversation with him the entire way. But I think the big lesson here is sometimes you're going to have to rely on the kindness of other people. It may just happen that you get stuck in a situation like this, but always trust your judgment on who to trust. I had several of the clients walk out of the dental office there and tell me, hey, this guy's cool. He's legit. He's on the level. You don't have anything to worry about. He'll get you where you need to go. So I had some confidence in that. But, you know, you may just have to rely on the kindness of someone else. So, you know, to tandem this lesson, if sometime that becomes you, that you're the person that someone else has to rely on, always do the right thing is my best advice. And I have to say, we've been talking about how unsafe Mexico City is. I think it's fair to give a broader viewpoint of, in my opinion, a broader viewpoint of Hispanic culture. And that would be mm -hmm. the overwhelming percentage, I think more so than blue state Americans, the overwhelming number of Hispanics are very family oriented. They're very generous. They're very yeah. kind. And I say, I, I honestly think that your average Mexican that you were talking about, Juan in this case, is probably got a bigger, better heart than people in Seattle or Portland. So there you have it. So we need to keep stuff in context. And it sounds like 100%. that's what you're talking about. Definitely. You know, I, of course, there are bad elements in any city, and that goes for Mexico as well. Of course, there are bad elements there, but the overwhelming majority of people have a good heart. And I mean, even Jose, he gave me his phone number. When we get back to Mexicali, I'll tell you about that in a second, but he basically said, if there's any problem, you give me a call. I'm like, all right, brother, I will. So we get in this car and off to Mexicali we go. And again, of course, I'm watching him right on my Maps app just to make sure we're going the right way because. You kind of still have to keep your guard up just in case. But, yeah, he took us back the exact same way that the taxi driver did, gets us right up to the border. Of course, again, I thank him for taking us. Of course, I reimburse him, gave him a little bit extra. But I did have kind of a funny story I wanted to talk about. Uh, I call this uh, Mexican GPS. <laughs> so typically when, here in America, we've got our smartphones right. We plug that destination in. We hit the go button, and off it takes us. In Mexico, the GPS system is you pull up to some guys standing on the street, you roll down your window, and you say, hey, brother, how do you get over to the border? And then they tell you back. Now, of course, they're all yelling this in Spanish, and I'm just sitting there trying to look as you know cool and confident as I can. And we get to the border. Like I said, Jose gave me his number. I put it in my phone. I thanked him profusely, hugged him. He hugged me back. Uh, and so now we have finally made it to the border. And this was... Oh, we'll get through this portion fairly quick, but I will tell you, it did take a while. We got to the border at about two in the afternoon and we did not get through until about eight. So we were sitting there for a good six hours. But basically what happened when we got there was there were volunteers, there were Ukrainian volunteers who were living in the United States who came across to help people get through because there was a different pathway, which I thought was interesting to get the Ukrainians through who were claiming humanitarian parole as opposed to everyone else coming through the border. So they basically would call people back in groups. They had us pulled off on the side and they would call people back. They called mother-in-law back and I'm of course left sitting out there going, what in the world is going on? Uh, right. And so I went ahead and I decided to just go buy everybody some water because it's like 80 plus 90 degrees out. It's pretty hot. So I just bought every, all the volunteers some water. It cost me like five bucks in pesos, which is nothing. And I took them to everybody and they're like, hey, let me go see if I can do something here for you. So one of the volunteers goes back and he's like, hey, Chris, come here. I'm like, okay. So he takes me back. I get to sit with my mother-in-law, which turned out to be pivotal, for lack of a better term. And I'll tell you why here in just a second. So we're sitting there. They're taking the women and children back first and the families. Totally get that. I'm totally fine with it. I have young children myself. The last thing I want is for them sitting out in the same place for six hours. So totally get that. Everybody was cool with it. We finally get through all the uh, – and they're taking one family back at a time. So it's taking about an hour per family. 
they, uh, you know, they start, I'm of course in contact with my wife this whole time and we're getting later in the day. And she told me, well, if you don't get through today, just send her back to Poland. I'm like, honey, <laughs> honey, stop with that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know your yeah. wife, but I'm telling her to stop with that. I know, but it's like, it's the punchline of the entire trip. And I, <laughs> we've laughed, we've laughed about it so much now, but at the time I was livid at that point. I'm like, honey, I can see the United States. It's like, I can look to my right and it's there. It's like, we are not going back to Poland. I'm like, sweetie, if I have to get a hotel here for the night and we come back in the morning to do this again, we're going to get her through and that's just all there is to it. And so my next prepper lesson, and we've kind of hit on this before, is just be the calm in the storm and expect other people to freak out, but don't be that person yourself. If you're going to run this show and you're going to organize this and do it and have this situation, you have to be that rock and, you know, keep everyone around you calm. So true. And this plays out in 299 days in a great state. We illustrate exactly what you're saying with dialogue and characters and people. And we give examples. But you are providing listeners invaluable prepping lessons because You've got the context. You've Mm -hmm. got the people. This really happened. And this isn't theoretical. This isn't like some 10 point plan checkoff thing. You know what I mean? This is real. So yeah, yeah, keep going. So now we get kind of one of the funnier parts of the story. Uh, And I've told this joke before. My mother-in-law explained what happened. But the entire time, the volunteers are prepping everybody, right? They're telling them, okay, the password, as they joked, is humanitarian parole, meaning that when they call you back, you have to ask for humanitarian parole. I mentioned before that my mother-in-law doesn't speak too much English. And so we're sitting back there waiting for them to call us back. And I asked her, I'm like, okay, what do you say when you get back there? And she's like, hmm. I'm like, humanitarian parole. She's like, da, which means yes. I'm like, no, I need you to say it. Da. I'm like, oh boy, (laughs) we're in for a moment. So they finally call us back, and I think we must have gotten a shift change with Border Patrol because I got the happiest Border Patrol agent I have ever met in my life. I mean, this lady came out, and she's like, oh, who's next? And the volunteers, oh, this gentleman here is bringing his mother-in-law across the border. He's an American citizen, and he was wondering if he could go back with her. Oh, yeah, sure, he can go back. It's no problem. I'm like, wow, this is quite contrary to what I experienced in Los Alagones with the guy accusing me of trying to do his job for him. <laughs> Uh, So we go back, we go back in the office and again, happiest dude behind the computer. And he says, uh, you know, he speaks to my mother-in-law. He's like a Miss Krapenko. That's her last name. What can the United States do for you today? And just, she gets the deer in headlights look. And I'm like, humanitarian parole. (laughs) And she's like, da, da, and points to me. I'm like, no, you have to say it. And we like struggle through the word humanitarian and the guy's like, it's okay. I understand what she wants. I'm like, thank you. (laughs) And so we comes down to a password. (laughs) Pretty much, pretty much. And she says that later on, after we talked about this, she said in that moment, her mind went completely blank. She could not even remember her own name at that point. Uh, It was rather comical. So they go through the whole process of doing humanitarian parole. They explain that she's good to stay here for a year. They fingerprint her. They do all the proper things to let us in. At the end, uh, we get our own personal escort out to the front of the line, uh, which there was quite a line of people coming through that were, you know, had U.S. visas or things like that. They stamped me back into the country. It took all of about 10 seconds. And they said, welcome to the United States. And they let us out. And so it really came down to just never giving up really is the big thing there. But uh, of course, now we're in Calexico. And the one thing that I failed to mention is we have friends who live in San Diego. Uh, We have uh, some family friends that we've known since, or my parents have known actually since college. They actually graciously came down and picked us up there. And we spent the night in San Diego. The next day we flew back to O'Hare on a direct flight. And then I drove the mother-in-law back to Indiana where we live. But the one thing I will tell you That night when we got to their house, it was probably the greatest shower of my life. (laughs) And I will tell you that uh, this is my last prepper lesson for you is that personal hygiene is more important than you think, Uh, especially in a situation like this where you are in a hostile environment. It's hot. You're sweating. It gets nasty. It's a great place for disease to crop up. I know I had athletes foot pretty bad for the next week that I had to take care of because I was in my shoes all day. 
And so your clothes are going to get nasty quick. So having that extra set of clothes in your bug out bag or something like that can be a huge benefit. Don't think that you're just going to bug out with the clothes on your back because it's going to get nasty quick. Yeah, if you have to choose weight and space-wise between an MRE and some underwear and a shirt and some socks, go with the underwear, shirt, and socks. 100% on the socks, extra socks if you can spare the weight and the space because you got to take care of your feet. If you don't have your feet, you're just dead in the water. Oh, I, I want to expand on that. I just think about all the yep. times when I was a younger and all the backpacking I did and I'll, you know, put a 40, 50 pound pack on your back and then hike for 10 to 15 miles a day. If you do not have good socks and you do not take care of your feet. And I talk about this in my books, you're out. You mm-hmm. get the blisters, you get the infections, you're out. And I have a character in my books that is trying to do a rescue herself. Can't. She ends up with busted, infected blisters, right? You didn't get taken out by anything cool like machine mm-hmm. gun fire. It was your feet. Uh, yeah. So it's so huge on that. So you're home. Yes. Tell us about yes, we being made home. It. Uh, it, was, it was a very wonderful feeling, to say the least. Not only that... I had gotten this done, but I was able to do it for my wife. Uh, You know, I was able to, you know, help get her out of that situation that they have right now in Ukraine. Um, Since then, they uh, they instated the Uniting for Ukraine program about a week after I got home. And I was like, well, that would have been a lot easier. But the thing is, you didn't know that going in. Uh, It's no different than trying to reanalyze a stock trade, right? It's like you, you don't know the future. Uh, so they could have done nothing and then they could have closed the border and then they wouldn't have let it, we would have been, you know, even worse situation. So I was glad we did what we did. Um, what they did do, which was very nice was they extended her stay for an extra year because uniting for Ukraine allows them to stay for two years on humanitarian parole. They did that with no problem. Uh, we recently did, uh, what's referred to as TPS, which is temporary protected status. Again, all of this through USCIS immigration services, uh, so that she can stay an extra six months after that. Uh, my wife and I have had our first child while uh, her mother was here. Thank yes. you. Well, uh, really so great it. that she could share that. That's got to be terrific for it, everybody. It was huge. It was huge because it was her first grandchild and it was a monumentous occasion. So uh, things have been good. She's been staying here. Uh, again, I know uh, I want to say everything we did was completely legal. We support her completely. So I don't want people thinking that their tax money is going to pay for my mother-in-law. I can promise you it is not. It's probably just been sent to Iran, as we talked about in the break, but uh, (laughs) it is not going here. I can promise you that much. Well, we all know there's a huge difference between legal immigration and illegal immigration, but that's a topic for for another day. This has been fantastic. I counted 11 prepper lessons that you shared with us in context. Why don't you spend the next five minutes or so before we go into the after show where you're going to talk about, besides the hilarious lightning round, we're going to have a guy, a writer for Ammo.com answer the question, 9mm lives up to the hype or overrated, which is going to be awesome. So That's going to be good. Go through uh, and, and summarize your 11 prepper lessons, especially now that people have heard the entire story. They can really relate it to what you described and things that happened to you. Yeah, you know, I think the first thing that's essential for survival or in a situation like this is to have a community around you that you can ask for help for. That was lesson number one, because uh, there's so much to do and you can't do everything. So having that community surrounding you is critical for any survival situation, whether it's bug out, bug in, uh, a natural disaster, or, you know, if the fecal matter hits the oscillating device. Number two is just confidence in body language, especially if you're a man, but this goes for if you're a woman as well. You know, being, looking like you are confident in charge and you know what you're doing uh, is really, it can be, oh, let's just say people don't want to attack a hard target, right? So right. if you look like, like you know what you're doing and you're confident in what you're doing, people aren't going to look at you the same way and in a good way, in the way that you want. Uh, number three, lesson number three, everything can go wrong and it probably will. So be prepared to adapt, take a deep breath, relax, because if you're freaking out, it doesn't do anybody any good and you're probably just going to make the situation worse. Uh, number four, you can go a lot longer without food than you can without water. Uh, so if you remember my plane trip, uh, basically went up good like 12, 18 hours without food. 
Uh, make sure you're hydrating, uh, and that is higher, should be higher in your prep list than food, but food, of course, is important. But you can handle that, uh, that hunger a little bit longer than you can thirst. Number five, unforeseen circumstances are probably going to happen. They're going to be out of your control. You may get separated from your group. Be prepared to handle things on the fly and be adaptable and be able to act independently. Number six, uh, sometimes you might get stuck somewhere you didn't expect. Uh, you got to be flexible with your plans and work with it uh, and deal with the situation at hand. Number seven, even the best laid plans can fail at a moment's notice for any reason outside of your control. Uh, again, don't freak out. Be prepared to adapt. Number eight, which is my personal favorite, always listen to your gut, especially in unfamiliar territory where you might be in danger. If you get that feeling that you're going into a bad situation, make an immediate 180 turnaround, get out of there and go back to where you know that it's at least a little more safe than what it was. Uh, number nine, you may have to rely on the kindness of strangers. Uh, use your best judgment as to who to trust. But also, if you're put in that situation, make sure that you're a trustworthy person and you help someone in need. Uh, number 10, always be the calm in the storm. Be that strong rock that everyone can rely on when everybody else is freaking out and losing their mind. And number 11, uh, personal hygiene, incredibly important in your bug out bag or any disaster situation. And always get those extra pairs of socks and uh, keep your feet in good condition. You know what I love about what you just said? First of all, you've laid the foundation and the context and your experiences and everything else. So now when you recited the 11 lessons, it really stuck. Here's what I love. Other than socks, <laughs> you, you <laughs> didn't say, here's what you need to buy. Right. This yeah. this preparedness mindset, preparedness is all about mindset, you know, uh, mind, in order of priority, you've got mindset, skill set and tool set. Right. Stuff is number three. And so yeah. I love that this wasn't, uh, a, you know, and you've listened to the show, you know, that I criticize the mentality of buy it now preppers. Right. They go into oh, Amazon. Yeah. They see the buy it now button. They hit they hit that button. Something comes to them in the mail. They maybe even keep it in the box it came in. They don't know where it is. It's out in the garage somewhere. They they don't know how to use it. They don't practice with it. They don't even remember they have it, right? That's a big problem. Yep. And so everything you've talked about, minus the socks, and the socks were good advice, minus the socks, it's not about stuff. It's about mindset. And that is exactly why we had you on the show. By the way, you've been an absolutely magnificent guest. You're going to be oh, back thank on. You. I mean, whether you want to or not. We're oh, gonna, no. He, we we yeah. have topics. We're going to yeah. have uh, have Chris back on. So no worries there. Yeah. So It, is, it has been a blessing for sure. Um, tell folks again real quickly. It's ammo.com slash Chris. $20 yes. off their first offer. I highly recommend ammo.com. I think you ought to check them out. So Shelby, why don't you take us out? Folks, of... If you haven't heard this whole story, I hope that what part you've heard presses home the point from Benjamin Franklin, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Have a great week, everyone. Adios. You've been listening to Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. All the information you've heard today, including all our previous shows, is online at prepping2-0.com. Find out more about Glenn's books at 299days.com and Shelby's books at agreatstate.com. Until next time, be smart, be safe, and be prepared.